Welcome to Puns and Potions. It's your favorite actual play D&D podcast powered by Patreon and people like you. Now, you've just witnessed this uh, scene play out in front of you, almost uh, entirely driven by forces unknown to you and out of your control, and they have just as easily come as they have gone, and now you are standing at the face of this temple that you've just discovered uh, may potentially denote uh, this long-running fortune that has been told so many, many weeks ago. What are you doing? I guess let's investigate this wall. I feel like yeah, Bear was investigating <laughs> some stones, right? The mm-hmm. uh, statues, the big old... They are uh, 20 feet tall, I believe. I think as... as from continuing from last session, as you like wipe away to see that um, telltale orange bee will just whisper, Amber Giants. Amber Giants. Avalon's not there, but in his head he's going, Amber Giants. <laughs> yeah, we should check this, whatever is going on with this temple. It seems to be a wall of water awaiting us behind the fog. I'm just going to put my hand to it. As you place your hand against it, in the way that Avalon describes it as water, like flowing stream or river, the sensory information that you get from it is not what you'd expect. In fact, when you place your hand against it, you can feel it moving, but it's a solid surface. It's not like water. And for a moment, you rest your hand and you just kind of let the forces kind of fold and press against your fingers with it. And then as you rest it there, you know, you feel that you can, it has a little bit of give that you can push back. Further. Whatever, like, rippling or however you're describing, is it uniform or is it kind of just like chaos? No, it's kind of like it. The way I described it before is not chaos in the fact that it's like it's not rapid, but in the way that it ripples against the walls and cascades across the surface and falls, it's not a pattern per se. It's just also not like excessive movement. Did I give it a pattern when I touched it? Like, would me pushing against it cause a ripple in it? Uh, no, not at this point. And when it was giving resistance, it was it just sort of just gave way that's just like the initial impulse that you get but as it rests there you feel it soften to you well i i describe this i don't know how bear would describe this is really weird it's like water but not water it does, doesn't ripple correctly i think we could just push through it i'll go ahead and touch the surface as well and then try to push a little bit on it yeah you would do you have the same sort of feeling and you start, you push on it immediately and you get that immediate give back. Um, but as it rests there and you continue that force just ever so slightly, you can feel that you are influencing the surface tension and that it pushes in. But then this is the best way I can describe this. And I hate this word, but you push it in and then it feels as if you are pressing against a membrane that sort of envelops your hand. Like you push through a surface tension and it enters the rest of the void. Right. Basically. And then that void, as far as you want to take in your hand, starts to like cover you. Not out from the wall, but like as you push further in, you can't see your hand in the quote-unquote water. Yeah, I'm going to try to shove myself in there. As you press your hand in further and you outstretch it, you start to notice that not only are you pushing in, but the equal forces that you are giving to it, it is pulling you. And as you push further in, you feel the momentum of you pushing becomes increased and increased until you not necessarily uh, among like your own motor functions are starting to like, it goes up to your shoulder and you're starting to be pulled in. Mm -hmm. Are you resisting it or are you allowing it? I'm allowing it. Oh gosh. All right, let's go. Uh, I'm going to grab onto his leg and I'm going to like get sucked in with his momentum. (laughs) 
in a couple moments, you are pulled in and bear as you go to grab his leg and attempt to be passed through with it your fist continues to the point where it hits the membrane and you feel his uh leg like you are now touching it but his leg disapparates through your fingertips and you're on the at that surface level again but avalon is not within grasp oh that was weird i'm gonna put my whole body to it at once so that i got going Okay. Yeah, <laughs> and you, the same thing. You get that service tension, and then whoom, it just suffuses you. You were you were gone. I think as this is very happening at the very beginning, he's just like, "Oh, it's like a non-Newtonian fluid." Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hundred percent like that. Are you also going in? I mean, uh, Selena, I we got. I'm literally right? just standing there, like with my mouth on the floor. <laughs> I'm like, I can't believe they just. I mean, I. Mm, yeah let's go i, let's I grab go. her hand yeah. and i yeah, yeah. <laughs> you you grab her hand and you take paces towards the door thing and as you hit it and you press through and you feel that same sensation that avalon felt where you are tugged in not like not from your arm i want to make this clear it's not from your arm it is just your entire gravity like equally being pulled in and you would notice as you pass through once your hand crests over a threshold uh selena's hand essentially like mist disapparates out of yours and you are through similarly to selena you are pulled in so far and then you lose beatrice are you going the whole way in yeah i'm doing the same thing do the same thing and you pass through now the way we're going to do this is specific each of you is going to take part in a sequence of events all of these events are happening simultaneously however we as human beings are passing through linear time space. So I can only do one of them at a time. Mm-hmm. Which means I would request that, because I want everyone to experience each sequence, I would love for you to react in different ways that find you find interesting and conversate like you normally would outside of the game. But I would ask that uh, you do not attempt to influence the decisions of others in their sequence, just as you would not allow the results of a sequence to influence the decisions of yours if you happen to go late. I knew this was going to happen. But I want everyone But I want everyone to stay on the call so we can all experience it together. Hell yeah, I'm excited. I, kn- I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> now. We're all going to face our own demons. Now, that will be potentially tricky, especially as specific things happen. But... Uh, in terms of influencing other people's decisions, Holly, it'll be easiest for you because you're going to go first. <laughs> I will start off by saying, as you pass through this void area, you pass into this void that is pressing at all around you. You are in this like sensory deprivation at this point, where up is down and left is right, and it doesn't make any sense, and you are in complete suffused darkness. Until waking up in the morning, where... You never know when you're about to fall asleep. It's just suddenly, maybe you're in a dream and you have that passing of time, but suddenly you were just awake. You do not understand the eight hours or for me, four and a half hours that passes in the night. You just begin existing. And in this sense, it's almost like you're falling asleep. And in that split second that you enter the void, it happens and then bam, you are awake. Beatrice, you are in a library. Bear, you are in a forced clearing. Uh, Selena, you are in the kitchen of your childhood home. And Avalon, you are in a ballroom i like i said i will keep my promise i will start with beatrice piles of books 
papers and things are littered across long, wooden, grandiose tables. You are in a library, and it's one that you're very familiar. There are balconies upon balconies and students that are lining and walking and discussing with everything and just shelves of tomes of books. There are magically uh, aloft candelabras that hang in the air and glinting candlelight kind of lights up the entire area. And you are in the motions of running your hand across one of these uh, shelves looking for something. I'll emphasize the fact that this does not feel unfamiliar. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's one of those things like when you are present, and this will apply to all of you, but I'm going to describe it here. Um, in the way, similarly, to just how I describe waking up, when you've had a dream, the more you think about it, the less details you can concretely make. And your memories start to override the, the actual imagery that you had in the dream. And things are distant. And you know that at some point you believed that that was reality. But as you are awake, you go, it was a dream. There's no way I could have believed that that was real. And it's in the same sense that Lingering thoughts that you may have had when you were entering this place are just that. They're passing moments in a streamline of consciousness. And you have a task that you're doing, you're studying. Right. And this is goes on for just a moment before you hear a voice. It's a male voice and it's behind you. And it says, you know, you've been in here for days again. And you instinctually turn to look. And there is a gentleman you're very familiar with. Uh, in fact, he is holding in his hands uh, what looks like a small little box. And you're not sure of the material what is inside the box because it is wrapped uh, with a small little like cloth with a knot at the top. And he's hanging it from, holding it from the knot and he places it on the table that is uh, adjacent to the both of you. And on it, you can see there's these stacks of tomes and ink blots and quills and just a mess of things. But you understand, you know, everything that is here mm -hmm. is in its perfect place. And if you need to reference anything, you know exactly which page and which place to go. You see him place the container on the table and he looks at you and he says, you really should eat something. When he lets it go, he taps the top of the container with one finger and he says, I stopped at that bakery, um, the one we, we tried a while ago, the... Um, he said it was the right time too, because these were these were fresh, so they should be pretty good. And he leans in across the table, and he begins to whisper, and he says, "But for fear of her thinking that I'm spoiling you, please don't tell your sister." And before you can respond, you hear a familiar female voice, which is behind you, and rings around the side of one of the bookshelves, and you see an uh, a gnomish woman, slightly older than yourself, and she is carrying a stack of tomes, which you have as many times as before, uh, commanded her to go find as she is aware of what's kind of going on in this establishment. And she just says, uh, looking in his direction, don't tell your sister what? And he abruptly replies and goes, Anna, I said, uh, don't tell your sister that I think she's amazing at her job. And she just goes, uh-huh, and puts the books down. And then you laugh instinctually. A laugh that is so in comfort that it is as if you did not will it to be. At this point, as the scene plays out and you're now completely engrossed in the moment that is happening, what do you do? Um, okay, so I do I do have some agency here, and I don't this is I don't really know that this is a dream, right? Just 
clarify? Do I know? I mean, it, it feels entirely real. This okay. is something you've okay. done sure. plenty of times before. It's not alien yeah. to you, and it's everyone is familiar, and it seems as authentic as it could ever be. Um, okay. Um, I think... Oh, boy. Um, I will... I think I'll, I'll, after this laugh, I will roll my eyes and just say, fine, I'll take a few minutes. Did you bring tea too, at least? He looks at you as you go to like kind of shuffle in to sit for a moment and he pulls out the chair. Uh, And from a pack that is strung over his side and it's just this kind of like satchel that he wears on the side, uh, on his hip. And he goes, I can't believe that you would even believe for a second that I wouldn't bring tea. And with that, he pulls out uh, this small, stout sort of thermos. It looks almost um, maybe like four inches tall and has a little screw cap. And he pulls out these two cups. They're not fancy or anything, but he places them down as he's rounding the corner back. And he pushes the tome of books out of the way so that he can actually get visual sight of you uh, because everything is just kind of out of the way. And as he unscrews the little thermos and he pours two cups of tea, piping hot, um, and drops two tea bags and then sits down. Um, I think sitting down, I will actually realize like how hungry I actually am after probably hours of not having anything. Um, and so I will open the container that he's brought just completely at ease. Uh, yeah. Uh, you unwrap it until the point where the cloth is laid out. And there's just like a nice little embroidery on the edge. It's nothing fancy. And the box itself is just kind of folded over the top and you it's folded in a way and you're familiar with this um, establishment in particular you know it kind of unwraps to the point where it becomes this sort of little tray with a nice uh, interior lining pattern and there is just four uh, small pastries they're just kind of stacked in the middle i will just grab one and just take a huge bite (laughs) he looks at you and goes uh from the size of that bite i imagine you're quite hungry do you do you mind if i just just the one, even half. Yes, of course, of course. Like my mouth full, it just like crumbs everywhere. Uh, he'll grab one and he'll just rip it slightly and put the other half back and begin chewing on it. And then your sister, she will kind of round the side of the table and she'll lean over to him and go, now I know this doesn't seem like much, but you're completely messing up the system by moving those books over there. They should definitely be in the stack over this one. And he just kind of like places a hand on his chin and just kind of rubs it for a second, like, and then gets a little bit of glaze that he realizes on the edge of his lip uh, from the pastry, and goes, "You know, I just I can't catch a break with this one." And he's looking directly at you, knowing that there's definitely some sort of rapport between these two that is not necessarily unfriendly, but is one of those things where it's like, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think I'll just I'll I'll like finish the the last like bite of pastry, <laughs> and just say. Anna, don't you have some filing to do or some kids to tutor somewhere? Well, I, I, I could be doing that, but you have me for the hour. So I can continue to third wheel whatever is going on here that you to feel the need to not put any labels on, or I can go do my actual job. What would you have? Get out of here. And she will, without saying a word, just give you both kind of a smirk and she will round away and off into the rest of the library. And then he will lean back in his chair, and now that she is out of sight, will probably lean back to the point where it is balancing on two legs and she can't stop him uh, getting comfortable. He will just kind of look over everything 
and go, B, how, how long do you want to stay around here? I think I, I'll follow his gaze. Um, this is a familiar corner of the library, probably. There in the the tables to the sides um, and behind in this large open space with these like beautiful stained glass windows. There are some other like familiar scholars that that I know, um, maybe I've worked with, and I think I'll return uh, return my eyes to him and I'll say, um, I mean, it is rather dusty. I don't know. I've been I've been thinking. I I just need. I need to put together a few things for a project. That's that's all. I, I just I just need. I I do need to go stretch my legs. I know this. Go, see the world like my my other siblings and get out of these halls. But I don't know. I, it's it's familiar here. It's 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 comfortable and and you're here. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm. I mean, I'm here. I, mean, I wasn't here for a little bit, but I don't know. When I was gone, I mean, it was always one of those things where it was like I always wanted to come back, but it was like coming back to be here, or was I like coming back for something else? And there's just, this, and he kind of like stifles, like he's maybe said too much, but he has something he wants to say, and then he kind of diverts. He just looks across the entire place. And he goes, libraries, books, I mean, they can, and they have, they've, they've done a lot for you, but there's, ex there's experiences that are out there. There's a different kind of knowledge that I feel. And as he's saying this, he's, his hands are kind of reaching across the table and it looks like maybe he's going to grab that other half of the pastry and he continues and he says, I, I just feel like there's something else that could be within our reach. And as he says that, both of his hands place a gentle grasp on your two hands that are resting on the table facing down. And he is looking down at both of them in that grasp that is firm yet warm. He turns both of your hands over so that your palms are facing outstretched and vulnerable to him. And he says, then again, and he looks up into your eyes. And these are pools that you have probably daydreamed to swim in. What good is it all held in broken palms? And he looks back down again. And then he looks back up at you. And you feel the grasp just tighten just slightly. And in all sincerity, he just says, would you like me to take care of this for you? And you know, yeah. in this situation, he's a holy man, cleric of some kind. And while you're not entirely sure in this specific context what he's referring to, there's some sort of longing of feeling that you get in that warmth. It's not just the warmth that you know. There is another layer of many layers of emotion tied with the touch. Um, I think my eyes instinctually just start to well up and I just say very quietly yes as you say that uh his grasp around your palms tightens to the point where he is holding them and you just see that vibrant friendly smile 
The next sequence that we're going to go through will follow Bear. As I described before, you are in this forest clearing. It's not very big. It's, in fact, quite crowded with tall trees and leaves across the ground. And at some point, you probably would have done this many times, felled a couple dying stumps to drag three logs in a triangle formation around a campfire. And in front of your feet is this familiar brown bear, so cuddly, so lovely that you would know as honey. And across the fire and to your uh, left is a half-orc gentleman. In front of his feet, next to the fire warming up, uh, is a dire wolf. You would know this to be Fang and his animal companion, Howl. And then to your right across the of fire is an Aarakocra gentleman. They're both wearing somewhat familiar clothes to yourself. Um, slightly differing in like actual armor or versatility, but tribal. You would know this to be Talon. And as you kind of look over the group and you see him raise one of his winged arms and a hawk that you would know to be his animal companion, Wing, comes flying through the canopy very quickly and flies and perches on his arm. And it looks like they communicate uh, in some way that is without words. And when he uh, lowers his hand, Wing just kind of flutters and then uh, passes and lands on the log and just kind of starts picking at his feathers. And Talon looks over the you and the others, and he says, uh, we should arrive at the ruins by this time tomorrow evening, approximately. And Fang speaks up and says, it'll be empty just like the others. We're running out of time on this fool's errand. And... Then there's a voice unfamiliar to you. It's unfamiliar for just a second, and then you're not sure where it's coming from. It's speaking just outside of your ear. But it's almost your voice. It's just deeper. It's a little different. And it speaks out of you in the second between conversation. They are fools. Empty. Worthless. Beneath you. And before those words can hit your ear, the conversation continues. And Talon is gesturing specifically to you and says, Bear, sit. Rest. Hawk observed a pack of warg, and if they wander close, we will need your strength in the night. Fang, not being able to keep his mouth shut, will continue and says, I could take 15 warg before Bear could fell one. <laughs> and Honey uh, raises her head and kind of growls in response, and there's a tension there, and it's met with Howl reaching his head up and kind of getting up on his haunches, not fully, but just a little bit. He hasn't been quite set off, but they're growling back at each other. And you hear the voice return. It says, prove yourself. Kill them. Be the one, the hero. And as the tension around this fire continues, you can see that the fire itself is just as it starts to just kind of roil slightly. Not necessarily unusual. It could have just hit a, a wet spot in the wood and it's just kind of popping. And Talon continues to settle yourselves. A long journey may yet lie ahead for the tribe. And Fang grumbles in for the tribe. For the tribe. Then the voice continues. Let the rage consume you. Become whole. Wield your anger over these insects. And as it 
comes and it presses into you and you hear it and it's like you're speaking to yourself like there's an internal monologue that's just kind of prying back at you it's gone and you realize that you have control over the moment it's like i described before just as real as you could ever imagine i'm I'm sorry i'm trying to decide whether i don't think i would i don't know hopefully these ruins won't be a waste just like the other ones we really need to find something soon yes while we do not know the time frame in which we work, it's every day passing feels like it could be the last. Yeah, you'd think they'd be a little more specific, huh? It's kind of serious to leave it this open-ended. It's just how the oracles work. It's all mysticism, it's magic, it's the it's garbage. It doesn't mean anything. We don't even know that this is real. This could, this could have just been a... Ah, and he just like hurls his fist and he just slams one of them into the side of the log. And he just stares off. If the elders didn't say this was important, I probably would have just laughed at them myself. Fang kind of collects himself. Yeah, we used to do a lot of laughing, didn't we? It's been a long while now. At this point, the group is quiet. It doesn't seem like anyone has anything they need to say. And in fact, considering the amount of time that's been spent, the three of you, it's hard to imagine that there's more words that could even be spoken in a string that would be new. And there's something about the silence of that fact that leads even more emptiness to whatever is going on. At this point, you sit and rest by the fire. And you kind of just go through the motions of bedding down and reflecting. And there's idle conversation that is had, but it's nothing meaningful. And in one of these moments, you kind of go to stretch your neck just back and forth and you look up at the sky and there's something interesting. It's the overwhelming wave of realization that you could have missed looking up at the night sky and seeing the stars this much. There's something so basic yet prolific about tiny white circles on a black background that is so intrinsic to nature it's unspeakable how much similarly to the way that selena felt looking out over the darkness of the valley from that mountainscape it just humbles you in understanding everything and when you reach your head back down you realize that the fire that's in front of you it's just kind of flames are just kind of licking up and it's it's kind of it's not drastic but it's growing slightly and it's just and it sends up these little bits of ash up to meet those stars. Am I keeping watch? Like, are my friends asleep and I'm just, like, solo? I would say at this point, uh, you probably wouldn't relegate it to taking first watch. They've probably actually gone to sleep at this point. Not, not a lot of time has passed, but just enough, maybe 10, 20 minutes, just to get everything settled. But yeah, at this point, you're probably alone. I'm going to look at Fang and size him up. Like, I just like he's like laying with his back to me, and I'm like looking at his muscles, and I'm like, I probably could take him, right? That's a thought you've definitely had many times uh, through the years, both as a child, as a teen, and now as, you know, a traveling adult. And you know everyone in the tribe very intimately. And it's one of those things where it's like at different stages of your life, you were confident you could take him and were humbled by him. And likewise, it's a passing rivalry back and forth. And uh, Talon is definitely coming to comfort of being the mediator. 
classic Talon. And as you reflect on all of these memories, the fire grows and grows. And it doesn't leave the bounds of the campfire, but it becomes hotter and brighter. And the flames grow taller. And then the voice returns. And you've almost kind of forgotten it because it almost blends in with your passing thoughts. This is bad. You know yourself to be above them. Above them all. Stronger. Quicker. More fearsome and powerful. And at this point you see the flames are kind of circling as they go upwards. And in the pattern of the flames you begin to see an image. It's a humanoid form and it licks up and it creates this effect of passing between the orange and the yellow colors that shows this shape and you look into it and you can see that it is you and out from the flame reaches like unsteady and wavering is a hand and now you can see that the voice which has been from your ears has been slowly growing growing as well as until it's encompassing this area or what seems like it is sourceless it says will you allow yourself to burn as your hottest flame be forged as invulnerable as obsidian. And it's just this flaming sort of tendril that is reaching out in your general direction. And with every passing second, the, the entire facade is just just pulsating and growing taller. At this point, small bits of ash are flying off and catching onto the grass. Do, do they notice? Or like, are they, are they like, they don't, aren't reacting in any way? No, they're... By all accounts, probably passed out by now. I just shoot them, like, both a quick glance. And then I take, like, a cautious step forward, looking, like, trying to make out this face. Like, is it me, you know? Mm -hmm. Part of me is tantalized. (laughs) I'm, like, just trying to make sense of it all, you know? Yeah. It it looks exactly like me. It seems like this is real. I, like, blink. I rub my eyes. It's, like, definitely happening. When you evaluate it, it... The imagery disappears, and it reforms in a way, but as you continue to see more and more details, you can see that it is shaping itself in ways that is projecting. Like, you are almost fooling your own mind and that it looks like you. It does, but it doesn't, and it's strange because it is made of flame, but it's not entirely... It's all I can say. It's it's a flame. I mean, just like the oracles would have foreseen specific things and signs of the way bugs eat away leaves or twigs fall in specific patterns. It's something that you're reading into. And it, it's, I am still detecting this presence. Yes. It seems like the voice is not continuing to speak, but there is, the air is hot and it's getting heavy. Can we help my people? Help them. Help them. We can help them all. And what is the price for this? The as you ask that question, the flame not explodes, but just just like expands rapidly to the point where it is like encompassing your vision. And this facade of you, the face stretches up to the point where it is like almost a demonic presence. And the arm, the strand of fire that is was once your hand is now this like great column that is stretching out these longer fingers that are wavering in the heat and they are stretched out of you and like it's powerful but all you hear is this boiling simmering sort of growl 
these are emotions that are intrinsic to your passage of information when you are raging. Things become less clear. You are dead set. We've seen it times before. Decisions don't necessarily understand consequences. It's the result, even if that result is unintended. That being said, in this moment, you are still free of agency, but you can tell that there's something in all of this split moment, right, that is familiar. I will do anything to help my people. The outstretched, flaming hand, arm thing, just with all of the might of the fire behind it, just just a wave of force fire with that open palm just stretches out in front of you and it just licks the air and the growl becomes more of a yell i'm gonna rage and i'm gonna slam my hand into like this game of thrones handshake you know what i mean (laughs) you slam your hand onto the wreath of fire and it fully encompasses your arm and you feel it burn like you've never understood but it is a warmth welcomed we'd get to the details later well that time is now this mix of dice and bad jokes is an actual play DD podcast run by five twitch streamers gone rogue prepared to bring you lovable characters meaningful narrative and more laughs than you signed up for but it can't exist on its own puns and potions is made possible by the loving support of our supporters over on patreon from perks such as getting ad-free episodes early access exclusive merch and personal shout outs you too can reap the benefits of a loving patronage to this very podcast over at patreon.com slash puns and potions that's puns a n d potions for just one singular dollar a month you can keep this fantasy alive now to our other sponsors for us at puns and potions community is a big part of what we wish to represent and one friend and community member i want to throw at you today is astral dice Full disclosure, I personally had a hand in the creation of Astral Dice, and it will continue to be a long-standing partnership. But just like the PMP crew, my Astral sets are the only thing I use to roll, and that's the truth. They're a handful of guys homebrewing dice sets out of their homes, because like us, they're super passionate about role-playing games, and can't accept just some mass-produced dice they bought from a hobby shop. They craft new sets when life allows it, and post them online for you to snatch up, or just admire the designs. So it'd be cool if you went and checked out their website, astraldice.com, or followed them on Instagram, at theastraldice. Thanks for the time. Now back to the puns. standing in a grandiose uh ballroom uh in fact there's plenty of people most of them are dancing or talking there's service people that are bringing drinks and food all around and it is just a wonderful sight people are wearing these lovely masks and just the most luxurious clothing uh this is an atmosphere that is not foreign to you it may or may not necessarily be comforting 
But in this moment, when you're taking in everything, there is a firm pat on your back, and you kind of like instinctually know what you must do as the command is followed. Straight from your right side, you hear your father's voice and say, stand up straight. Yes, father. And I'll stand up straight. And then there's a gentle hand that's placed on your left arm and a joining voice. Oh, stop. You're too hard on him. And this is clearly Dahlia, your mother. Your father then clears his throat and says, you're right, you're right. Just a very important evening. We raised him well. I'm like a fine impression. You just worry too much. And they both kind of chuckle and you know that there's a sense of ease between the two of them. Something you haven't known probably in any recent memory. And then as you stand there, breaking from the crowd is a, a younger woman. And it looks like she kind of turned and saw you and is approaching you. And she says, Avalon, you didn't come alone, did you? I'm afraid I did. Well, I can't say that's a first, but you do like to make your way around. And she gives you a sly look. Would you like to dance? Absolutely. And I'll take out my hand to gesture her to grab it. Uh, as you do that and you meet her hand and you are pulled towards the dance floor, uh, you hear uh, Dahlia as she retracts her hand from your arm and she just whispers a little bit and you just catch it in that mother-son connection. And she says, you didn't inherit your father's charm for nothing. And you walk off to the hall, in inward towards the hall where people are dancing, and you... Set up the assumed position that you've always been taught many, many times through many classes of how to properly dance at these occasions and present yourself. And she, of course, is um, aware of this custom and you blend yourself into this. Not only is everyone dancing, but the groups of people, the couples are dancing and weaving around each other in a formation. And I will specify, you have no fucking clue who this woman is. Okay. As you begin to dance, what do you say? I guess in the midst of dancing, I'll just say, huh, thank you for getting me out of that. I tell you, I'd do anything to get out of here for at least a minute to get some fresh air and not be around all this bureaucrat. Well, that is kind of the life, isn't it? It has its ups and downs. To be honest, it's a little early in the night, but give me a couple hours and I'll give you more than a minute. You have a deal on that. What's your name? As you ask her that, you can see a sense of relaxation uh, come across her entire form. And she just peeks a sly smile and not breaking eye contact. She's clearly very confident, has been trained for like very specific, like cross your T's, dot your eyes, formal stuff. And she's clearly danced around many situations. And when you ask her that, she goes, you know, not surprised you don't remember me, but then again, maybe it's the little point you have to your ears, but that holier-than-thou personality voice touted has been quite alluring. I can't keep away. Perhaps you'd like to freshen my memory. Sonia, firstborn daughter, but... I... Ah, yes, Sonia, I'd remember. <laughs> I'm sure you do. <laughs> and as you continue to twirl, she doesn't necessarily say anything. In fact, she's putting on an, uh, a sort of veneer, not just to you, but to the room. Right. And just for the heck of it, roll me a performance check. I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a 19. Uh, you 
hit all your strides and all the steps and she meets you just as well. And this carries on for a little bit and you have this idle chat and catch up and she continues to make little spiked remarks at everything you say and she just has a way of always making the next counter. And it's something that you aren't unfamiliar with. It's kind of the language. And eventually you get to a point where you're dancing and the way that the room moves, you realize and see a striking um, figure that just kind of draws your eye away from her in the conversation for just a moment over her shoulder. You see that there is this regal looking elder gentleman. He has slightly bluish skin and his hair while almost bordering on completely white rolls over his head and down towards his shoulders where he is wearing this like fancy mantle piece that stretches out um, and over his chest and these long robes. And his hair, interestingly, uh, the room, the air is completely still, but his hair is has these waves set in it and it's almost as if they are just kind of slowly moving. And when you clearly look and observe him, Sonia realizes what's going on and she peers her head over her own shoulder as you continue to swirl and she looks back at you with wide eyes and she goes, Avon, if he has a moment, you have to talk to him. How come? Well, he's the, he's the host of the party. Like, if you can make it go with him, who knows? I mean, your father's obviously going to be shaking hands all night with this uptight rich folk, and we'll leave that to him, but you might have a good hold if you can get one. Not keen on these pleasantries that you have at these types of occasions, but if the opportunity presents itself, I might as well give it a shot. She looks back once over quick and, he, and she says, it looks like the conversation he's having is ending now. So I think your time may be now. And she will let go of your hand and she will look back at you and, and she will say, we made a deal. So I know where you'll be at the end of the night anyway. And she gives a wink and she releases you into the crowd and she just whoosh, away. Okay. And you have a clear shot at this point with the way that things are moving in the room to him. I'm going to sort of like casually make my way over there. And as soon as this conversation seems like it's coming to its end fully, mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to position myself sort of in front of him and just go, ah, oh, sir, I hope the I hope the ball is going splendidly. Uh, he looks like he's just finished up the conversation. And he kind of turns and he goes. Oh, it's going splendid, um, as well as these totty occasions can do, but I guess that's my own fault. Um, <laughs> right. and, he, and he turns to look to see who is speaking with him, and he goes, Avalon, I'm, I'm glad you could make it, I'm glad. And he puts a firm hand on your shoulder and just kind of gives you a little rock and uh, squeezes it. And he goes, um, my knees are old. If you wouldn't mind, we could just find a place to sit for a moment. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I'm going to help him walk over to a nearby chair that's open. Uh, and you guys can sit down uh, for a moment. And as you're breaking away, there will be service people that kind of got bumped to him and make sure that he's good. He doesn't need a drink or anything. And he's just like, yes, yes, I'm fine. He'll sit down. Avon, I, I, I knew your father was most likely in attendance. Um, but I'm glad to see that you've made it. How could I miss it? If it's hosted by you, after all, I'm sure it'd be a party to die for. Well, you know, I... You know, there's certain regrets that I have. Um, you know, your father and I are close friends, but being such a distant benefactor, I, I'm glad that you at least recognize the connection that we have, although distant. And I will also uh, specify, 
you maybe know roughly who this guy is because you're attending his party, but like you've never met this man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's the it's same like, thing it's, where it's like people know you and you know them. It's like you never really talk because you don't have to unless you have to, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, anyway, I could take part. I'd be happy to. It's good to see you. How are you feeling? You mentioned that it has this this occasion has its regrets or anything. Do you do you tend to throw parties like this often? It's becoming more frequent just because with me getting sicker, it's no I'm sure maybe your father's mentioned maybe he hasn't, just no heirs, no I have to throw these things just to shake the hands and find whoever is going to uphold the estate. So I see. I see. That must be rough. Oh, it's certainly not how I would like to do things. I would much rather read a book or take a fly. It's it's all so much talking. You're telling me. <laughs> I look out in that crowd and there's hardly any people worth talking to out there. Just to shake hands and talk niceties and just look at each other with faces that hide ulterior motives. I'm just glad I could be here to, you know, represent my father and, and you know, the relationship that you two have. That's ultimately why I'm here. Well, if you don't mind me asking, you, you intend to take over your father's business then? That is the plan, it seems. I mean, I, I respect that. I respect that. I understand. I'm, I was assuming that that was always the case. But, you know, there's... I mean, he's, he's only got the one air. It's certainly true. But uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I Like I said, I, I respect that decision. But there's always been a kinship that I've had. I, the regret I was mentioning is just that you were born and I was there at the younger age, just as many of his business partners were. But he and I always got along and I just, because of business, things got further and further away. And of all, and if I'm being completely straight with you, there's just trust that I have for your family. And obviously I can't pass things on to your father. He has too many things to manage, but I could, if you would consider it, and he just kind of lingers off, insinuating that maybe he's considering you as a successor. Speak your mind. What is it? You and I, as I can tell from just the moments that we finally sat face to face, well, at least in the context that you can form tangible words and you're not slobbering all over yourself, you and I think alike. And there's a certain power that comes with all of this. And there's a, there's a presence. And I know it's not a spotlight that you want, but there's something that I feel like when I was your age, I wanted and it was great. And there was things that were bad about it, like having to run these things. But I can give this to you and I want to, and it can become your reality. There's, you know, your father's business is great and it's booming and it's better than it ever has. And you can marry into whatever merchant family you would like, but there's just something else that I feel like you have a potential for. And I'm not saying that you need to. And he opens his palm in your direction and he prestidigitates a small little illusion of like a crown. My estate is far reaching. And in these places, we don't call them this anymore. But it's unmistakable the influence that you would have if you allowed me to take you on as the next torchbearer. And the illusion fades from his hand, but it is still outstretched towards you. And he says, Avalon, I ask, in figurative terms, 
would you don the crown of the king you were born to become? It's, it's a big ask, sir, and something that I've thought about many times. I'll be frank. Crown is a powerful thing to carry. With it comes rule, responsibility, and above all, should have a desire to help others. Those in need. I believe you and I have that in common. So I'm honored that you've asked me to be the successor for something as grand as this. I need time to think on it. I can't give you a yes or no answer. He looks at you and his face kind of falls. And his hand retracts. He goes, I understand. I understand. And we will move to the fourth and final with Selena. Mm-hmm. Like I mentioned briefly before, you are in as well a familiar space. Uh, not in familiar as in a setting that you've been before and is familiar like a forest clearing or a ballroom, but similar to Beatrice in that this is a place that you've treaded for countless years, mm-hmm. um, even more so than she treaded those places. In fact, this is your home. You are standing in this small little kitchen and the entire place is wood paneled and there's a table in the middle and has chairs kind of pushed in with the exception of one where your brother Ismark is sitting and he has just a slew of papers and folders and he's he's holding on to somebody he's looking across them and he's got a pen he's kind of marking things around and then past him uh, by the countertop there's a window that you can see out uh, into the uh, rest of the landscape and standing there is uh, Coley and your father and it looks like he's kind of chopping up some vegetables or like some sort of food prep. And then there's another figure. And it's interesting because this is a figure you've never seen in motion. It's a figure you've only ever seen in paintings, uh, in the vivid descriptions that your father would describe to you, um, that you could create your own understanding of what she was like, but now she's there. And she is cooking, just doing something totally normal. Um, okay. And you would understand that this is in fact your mother. And as this reality comes into shape, uh, you notice that she looks over uh, her shoulder and she's continuing to work. Uh, and she goes, uh, Irina, could you come help your father chop these vegetables? He's doing it all uneven again. And he says, they're fine. It all cooks the same anyway. And then Ismark just pipes up and goes, no, dad, it, it really doesn't. Um, and he puts papers <laughs> down. He goes, but uh, put that aside for just a second. You're, you know you're missing records. There's like gaps in this. And your father turns and he goes, "Uh, they're probably in the office. Um, And he points back towards the hallway that is behind you um, and in the direction of his office. And he goes, bottom drawer of the desk, uh, right side probably. And then your brother just turns in the chair with just a look that you are fully aware is just complete and utter annoyance and disappointment. And he just says, can you get those for me, please, Um. while I try and figure out whatever the heck this is i'm going to go up to my dad and embrace him and hug and be like i got these vegetables go get go get what he wants uh he is a little taken aback by you hugging him from behind and he's just like kind of stops and he goes weird time to get sentimental but i suppose i know where they are at least i hope so uh and he uh pulls away from the countertop and he just gives you like kind of a pat on the top of your head and you, uh, he kind of walks down the hall. And in that moment that you kind of take up his stead and you grab the knife that he was using to chop, you have the distinct feeling of being watched. And no one's looking at you in the room. Uh, 
but you can kind of feel like there's something just outside of your gaze of vision. Uh, I look around, I guess. Do I see anything? Uh, you look in the general direction, and then you f- can swear that you see in the wood paneling some sort of movement, but as you whip and fixate, okay, it's just a wall. And the feeling is gone. You return looking forward and begin and continue to chop, and uh, your mother, uh, without looking in your direction, she just kind of whispers and goes, you know, I probably should have hired a better co-chef. But then again, the heart wants what the heart wants. I'm very speechless at the fact that she's here. So I, I don't know how to interact with this person. I've never really had to do it. So, um. And she will gladly let just the silence fall in the room. I have a question. I have, well, I have several questions. One, I'm looking down at myself. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. kind of not really able to look at myself or anything. I'm looking at my hands while I'm cutting. Am I young? Uh, no, you're probably about the same age as you are. Doesn't seem like you've traveled back in time. And I, I don't have any of my stuff on me, right? No, you're wearing like normal suspected clothing. Okay. But I'm, I've not been like aged backwards or anything like this is happening. No, no this is just could have just been any old day. Okay, cool. Um, I can't remember my second question, so I'm just going to let it sit for a second. Uh, before your father comes in, I will specify that a thought dawns on you. And mm-hmm. it's, like I said, it's imagery that you've known, but seeing it realized is strange in the fact that you've never made the mental connection that your mother doesn't have red hair. She has brown hair. She doesn't specifically look like you. Do. But this is exactly how you've ever known her to look. It's just now yeah. seeing her there hits differently. No, my sibling doesn't, my brother doesn't have red hair either, right? No, it's like a dirty blonde. My dad doesn't either. Uh, very interesting. Okay, go on. And speaking of your father, uh, he comes back into the kitchen and he's holding like a couple file folders. Cecilia, chalk one up for me. I know exactly where it was this time. And he puts the papers down on the table and she goes, yes, yes, I'm sure you did. First try, right? Didn't happen to have to shuffle anything around he goes nope absolutely new and as they're conversing you can't help but get that feeling again they're being watched i'm gonna sit with it because there's nothing i can do about it does not go away and as your mother turns to see what uh is now being worked on you hear a voice accompanied by that omnipresent feeling and it's as if someone is standing right next to you looking at you and the voice is not far, but it's not close. And it's a voice unfamiliar, okay. but not descript. It just says, it's all so peaceful, isn't it? The way things could have been. But that's broken by your mother saying, Ismark, promise me you'll be more organized than your father when you take over. And your father, who has is trying to return to his place at the countertop, uh, looks across uh, the three of you with his arms outstretched and goes, how about we don't talk about me as if I'm dying. And they all kind of laugh. And then the voice continues. You can't save them, but they will be gone forever if you aren't around to carry on their memory. And that feeling of being watched intensifies. And in this sense, you are almost certain there's something just to the side of you in your peripheral vision. Like, unmistakably. I try to look at it. You turn your head swiftly to look at it, and you break your focus back towards the wall and you see within the wood paneling there was something for just a split second and it closes 
and the feeling continues, but now in a different part of the room, something's there. I try to look at that one. You try to look and you catch it a little bit faster this time and you can see the, an unmistakable shape of some sort of orb as the wood paneling closes. So it like looks like a little orb? Mm-hmm. And it continues, but this time it's not one thing in your vision. There's something above you. There's something to your left. There's something to your right. So there's like a bunch of like orbs probably watching me. That's what it feels like. Okay, I'm going to be a little... A little uh... I know that I just walked through a wall, right? Like, I know that this is most likely a dream. Uh, in the way that I described it to everyone else, it's one of those things where it's you are in this moment, you believe it to be real, but there is that nagging distant feeling like you were just somewhere else. As if you had just woken up from a dream and the dream doesn't feel real. It feels like a dream, but it's unmistakably present in just the tiny recesses of your mind. So I... Like, just enough to potentially sow a little bit of doubt Okay. But in this moment, everything feels like it could be completely real. Okay. But I do have a concept that, like, they're all, like, except for my brother, like, dead. Like, I do know that. Yes. You are aware of the information that you had, although it's, like, the further away you get from it, the more you start to reconsider, like, are those memories I had real, or did I dream that? And now you're thinking, like, well, he's, my father's here, mm -hmm. so maybe he is alive? It's like a, it's a, like I said, it's a seed of doubt. It's, okay, yeah, it's like your brain not doesn't want you to know, almost kind of thing. I'm just trying to like, I'm trying to figure out what I would do in this situation with multiple things watching me, and I don't think like I I think it's real. And as you are contemplating, and your family's having idle conversation, and mostly it's your brother and your father kind of arguing over records that he's keeping that are apparently not very a normal good. occurrence. And yeah, completely <laughs> normal. And something you've heard many a times and probably from the other side of your closed bedroom door just wanting them to shut up. It's unmistakable that there are more feelings that you have. There's more somethings on the outside of your gaze. Hmm. I'm going to kind of like abruptly like put down the knife okay. that I was cutting vegetables with and I'll look at my family and I'll say... You turn to look at your family. Uh -huh. And you notice that the room, within the wood paneling, repeating, panels split. Not orbs, but eyes. And not the same eye. All different colors, different shapes of pupil, bloodshot, some crystal clear, some glossied over. Just all manner of just surrounding you. It doesn't make up the walls, but they are peering in through the very fabric of this entire room. And you can even see, because you're at the countertop and you're facing back towards your family, you can see these eyes repeat down the hallway. They're ever-present. And you can now feel the gaze of eyes behind you, just all around you. And it's made worse by the fact that your family, which you turn to look, and you realize that their conversation has stopped, and they aren't doing anything except sitting where they exactly were, and their heads unnaturally cocked in your direction and staring at you. Okay. Um, I'm gonna, like, go up to them and be like, what's going on? Why are you staring at me? Why is everything staring at me? They don't say anything. They don't react. And in fact, when you go to shake them, they just take it. Okay. But they will not even blink. And the voice just says, Irina, they're watching. They will find you. They can take it all away from you. They will take this all away from you. And then the closest figure to you, 
which is your mother, reaches out a hand that you've never had the pleasure to feel in your own grasp, reaches out in your direction, and it is not a distant voice anymore. It is being spoken in the voice of your brother, your father, and your mother simultaneously. And it just continues and says, Will you relinquish yourself to the shadows? Bathe in the darkness of infinity. And in this moment, I will say, because of the things that you've experienced so far in this life and these distant memories that you have that are so real but couldn't be, this is a deal. Mm -hmm. And you know deals. So in the semblance in this moment that perhaps simultaneously your other companions are dealing with this temptation for the first time in an unnatural way, you are the one that doesn't understand it, but can feel the weight of what a deal could do. Absolutely not. And I like back up. As you back up, you are abruptly hit with the countertop that is behind you. And in that moment, you are snapped like a cut. And you now see inside of this room, the walls completely smooth with the darkened orange amber. The immediate thing that you see is a table carved directly out of stone from the floor and a 12 foot tall model of a dark castle with high walls, tall spires built directly into this table. And you look upon it, and it is very familiar. You've seen this thing from a distance. You've seen illustrations of it. You've been told of its horrors mm -hmm. many, many times. And it is now sitting in this small, miniaturized form right in front of you. And in that same second, you notice that the same thought is being hit across your party members as you are being reunited. This, those things that you were just experiencing now feel like the memories that were once reality are now the memories that you thought you were having before. And specifically bear you feel that heat from your arm is now completely gone but it's suffused and it's passed through your body and it collects itself in this small burning molten core that sits right in your stomach beatrice the warmth the comforting understanding of a companion that was resting in your hands has now firmly laid itself onto your palms avon you feel yourself being shunted back into this room and the murmuring of people and dancing is all completely gone away, and you feel a sense of emptiness. Selena, you are taking in this sight just as all of them have, and again you feel a distant longing wish that you maybe could have had that moment for a little bit longer, but it's gone. <laughs>